Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media, producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East, Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Thoyer, your host. The program you're listening to is number 776, 776, not 1776, <laughs> when our nation was technically born, but 776, 776 programs of Light of the East, consecutive programs. Some of you may have been with us since the very beginning. If you have, that's marvelous. Let us know. Write to me at TaborLife at Earthlink.net, TaborLife at Earthlink.net. Let me know if you've been with us from the beginning. It'd be interesting. And I think that's rather humbling. It's awesome to think we have made 776 programs already, and hopefully we'll continue to be around to breathe and to preach and to embody, to immerse you in the riches of the two lungs of the church, East and West. Primarily, of course, we deal with the riches of the Eastern churches here. But if you have been with us from the beginning, or however long you have been with us, I want to thank you. And I also want to thank our good friend, Buddy, who's out in Massachusetts. Buddy really keeps tabs on things, and he calls me from time to time. He basically tells me what's happening. He'd be a great CIA agent or something. He really keeps up on things. <laughs> he really keeps his finger on what's happening in these from churches. So I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks for listening, and thanks for helping to keep me informed. It's good to see that and to hear listeners that are very astute that are taking our message here seriously and kind of running with it, keeping on top of things in the Eastern churches. Recently, a listener said to me that one of our recent programs here that dealt with some of the challenges going on in the church and how the Eastern churches can be a net, a kind of a fail-safe, an answer, a place of healing, a place of help. And they told me that when they heard that program, they were very touched. They were very encouraged. They appreciated the realism of it. We addressed the situation in the church as it is, but we also provided a hope, or sometimes I call it a kind of a net to catch us in whenever we feel like 
well, the bottom's falling out of us and the church. And let's face it, we have to do some plain talk here. It's time for plain talk. It paid off because the listener told me that they appreciated it. So I'll do some more plain talk, especially since we gave that person hope, which is precisely our mission here, our mission of unity and hope. And when someone tells me that a program that we did provided them with hope, now that inspires me. That makes me feel really grateful. It humbles me and it motivates me to continue doing more of the same. So I want to try to continue to offer hope through what the Eastern churches have to offer during this time of, well, certainly there's a lot of uncertainty, let's face it. And we sometimes wonder, what is our Holy Father really up to? I'm not making a judgment one way or the other on him, but let's face it, let's be real. There's a lot of confusion. Who knows? Maybe that's God's providence. Maybe he's being exactly the Pope God wants him to be. I'm not taking issue or criticizing. That's not my point. However, in all honesty, let's face it, a lot of people do scratch their head about this current Pope, especially about some things that are coming up, such as the Amazon Synod and so on. There's a lot of people in the Latin Rite Church, especially, who feel that the bottom is being pulled out from under them, from sex scandals to, like, you know, who do you trust anymore? What kind of priest or bishop or cardinal or even the Pope do you trust anymore? Seems like every time you turn around, somebody's falling from grace, somebody's being revealed as having committed something that was scandalous and very hurtful, disappointing. There's a lot of division in the church. People don't know what to believe. A lot of people believe whatever they want to believe. You get mixed signals from priests, from bishops, from cardinals, from theologians, and perhaps from the Pope. At least it seems that way at times. So there's a lot of the bottom seems to be falling out, almost like the church is, is going down in flames. And that can be very disconcerting. It can give a certain sense of insecurity, like, like there's no platform, there's no ground under our feet. And we're floating and we're going to fall. We're going to land somewhere. And I would like to say that the Eastern churches may be a place to land. And I don't mean that I'm not trying to say I'm into sheep stealing. I mean land in terms of not just attending even for a while, if that is what is helpful, but landing in terms of looking at what we might have to offer amidst this time of uncertainty and confusion. So when I mean landing, I mean it on a number of levels. But before I go into that, I want to say that Conversely, the Latin Rite Church has been that place of landing for the Eastern churches. That's the beauty of the church, East and West. There were times when we did not have our own bishops. We did not have our own schools or seminaries. And the Latin Rite was there to provide us with that. There are times when we had difficulties with church ownership. There were fights and schisms about that, especially in the earlier part of the last century. And the Latin Rite helped us with that. There's the Catholic catechism that can only be done by the skills and genius of the Latin Rite Church, a universal catechism. Imagine putting it all together in one book for the whole world. And that I find to be very, very helpful. The Latin Rite is able to articulate very clearly some very, very nuanced and, of course, controversial moral teachings, such as the teaching from Humanae Vitae, the church's teaching against contraception. These things need a lot of clear articulation where things are certain and there is no wavering and there is a, a boldness to it, yet a compassion. And the Latin Rite Church has the genius to do that. And that is very helpful for me as an Eastern priest. In other words, it's like a rock. The Latin Rite Church is like a rock. You can go there and you can get clarity. 
Yes, there is confusion, but that's not has nothing to do with the Latin rite itself. That's not has nothing to do with the Latin rite's gifts, its genius. It has to do with people not appreciating the genius of the Latin rite of the Western Long of the Church. As an Eastern rite priest, I do, and I do appreciate it even historically. So the beauty of all this is that we can help each other at any time. The Latin Rite has been that place for the Eastern churches to land, especially in America, through many ups and downs of our own history. They continue to be a rock. They continue to be something we can really rally around. I'm very thankful as a priest that I have access to the means to articulate what are sometimes nuanced and confusing moral issues. It can be articulated very clearly, succinctly. It makes sense. There's a beauty to it. There's a goodness, a holiness to it, and I appreciate that. And that is done by the genius of the Latin Rite Church, or the Western Long of the Church. So now it's time to return some of the favor, as it were. It's time for the Eastern churches to at least be, in some way, an example or encouragement as things are getting a little confusing, well, for all of us here in the church, East and West, but also, in particular, in the Latin Rite. Lots of things liturgically, lots of things in terms of confusion with church teaching, with what priest is on board, what priest is not, is someone a liberal, somebody a conservative. These are all things that are causing a lot of unsettledness. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest. We have to do some plain talk here so that we can offer hope. So first thing I want to offer from the Eastern Church's point of view is that there has been in the Eastern Church, the Western Church as well, but also in the Eastern Churches, there has been times of Tremendous confusion, tremendous heresy, so much so that the Eastern churches had to call together councils from time to time throughout the centuries. They were generally always called in the East because there was confusion even among the leaders of the church on what to believe about something as fundamental as Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity. Imagine that, not just a moral issue about, for instance, contraception, a specific thing like that, but about the most fundamental thing of all. Who is God? What do we really believe about God? And who is Jesus Christ? Who are the three persons of the Trinity? What do we really believe about them? That's pretty serious business. And there were people in the Eastern churches, patriarchs, bishops, monks, theologians, who had it wrong. Yeah, they had it wrong. And they were in leadership positions. People sometimes are saying that the Pope is speaking heretically. Well, there were leaders. I'm not saying whether the Pope is or not, but people are concerned about that. Well, If you look at the history of the Eastern churches, there were patriarchs and leaders who did, in fact, speak heretically, and they were in positions of power. But the hopeful thing that I offer is this, that the church ironed out its wrinkles. In other words, it called together councils by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The church got back on track, and in that process, it produced saints. So... That should give us a whole lot of hope that this time of seeming chaos, of the church seeming like it's going down in flames, at least the church as we've known it, we don't know what to believe or who to believe in anymore. At the same time, these type of eras produce saints. They produce opportunities for great people to step up and for the Holy Spirit to act very decisively. I'm not saying that we are glad that there's confusion. We're not glad there's confusion. There shouldn't be confusion. It's very disheartening. It leaves a person with a lot of anxiety, as many people have today in the church. It leaves them looking around and searching. But the fact is, God, because He is who He is, works through these things and brings about wonderful things. These councils hammered out what we really believe and pass it on for us until eternity. So now we know what to believe, precisely because they responded to confusion. 
and great saints stepped forward, or at least men that became saints because they stepped forward. You know, Cyril of Jerusalem, Cyril of Alexandria, Athanasius, St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory Nyssa, St. Gregory the Theologian, on and on and on. They stepped up and they became saints in light of the need. So the first thing I want to encourage you about is that when things happen like this in the church, take heart. We've been there before, maybe perhaps not exactly in this way, but we've been there before. And especially look at the Eastern churches, that the leaders themselves at times were in fact heretical. But other leaders stepped up and got the church back on track. So we go through tough periods, even confusing periods, but hang on, hang in there. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well in the church, perhaps even more so than ever. It has to be, because the evil seems to be more alive than ever. When I come back, we're going to talk more about how the Eastern churches can offer their gifts to the Latin Rite Church, the Western Lung of the Church, at a time of a lot of anxiety and confusion. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. And by the way, there's still time to come down to my parish, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois. We still got some time for you to polka. We're going to be here to about 5 o'clock this afternoon. 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Come on down and polka. Win some big raffle prizes. Have your kids enjoy a marvelous, marvelous kids section. I'll give you private tours of the prairie, and our deacons will give you private tours of our church and its iconography and liturgy. Lots and lots of things. So if there's still time, come on down. Prairie Fest at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Another source of anxiety, especially for Latin-right Catholics, is the upcoming, it's being called the Amazon Synod, because it has to do with, its, its focus is on the church in South America. And the working document, and that's just what it is, it's a working document. It's not an announcement of any changes yet. It's not an announcement of changing church teaching on anything. It's just a working document, and yet perhaps there are agendas behind that. But it is just a working document. In the working document, though, from what we know of it, there's a lot of anxiety uh, among many people because it seems like the document is seeking to change the church in rather dramatic ways. One of the things that many Latin Rite Catholics are anxious about is that the issue of married priesthood will come up at the Amazon Synod. And largely in regard to being able to minister to those people who are in the 
jungle-type areas or tropical areas of South America and places like that, where priests are very scarce. It's very hard to perhaps get to these people, minister to them, but they are Catholic. They need evangelization. They need ministry. And so one of the proposals is the consideration of ordaining married men. So you have a bigger pool to draw from to serve these people. A lot of Latin Rite Catholics are really concerned about that. Well, again, let's look to the Eastern churches, kind of a net to kind of catch you in as you feel like the church is free-falling into disaster on this issue. The thing about the issue of married clergy is that it has to be carefully, carefully considered in as big and thorough a context as possible. And that's why if you look to the Eastern churches, you can use a bit of a proof text, a little bit of a reference Now, it's not exactly going to be the same as what's being proposed for the Latin Rite in terms of married clergy, but there is a lot that can be helpful by looking at the example of the Eastern churches. The first thing is, is to look at that issue in a very full context. We have to avoid certain things, which I see happening, and they've got to be corrected. It is not correct to look at the Eastern churches or any church that has a married clergy and to look at that clergy or that status of being a married priest as somehow lesser, not as holy, not as pristine, not as authentically priestly as the celibate clergy. That's very, very incorrect. In fact, if you get to know many married priests, especially Eastern churches, and and even those from a long time ago, they are men of great attentiveness to their parishes, to their people, men who sacrifice much, men who have been known to be very dynamic and very productive and very, very present to their parishes. And furthermore, to be a married priest, to be married, we often think of it in the church as lesser than being celibate. Well, celibacy is greater than marriage only in the sense that heaven is greater than earth. See, because marriage is meant largely for this life. It's a sacrament, but it anticipates what will be the ultimate marriage or wedding with us, the bride of Christ, with our bridegroom Christ in heaven forever. So in that sense, yes, celibacy is greater because it's eschatological. However, on another level, celibacy, a celibate priest, is not a more authentic form of priesthood than a man who is a married priest. What is oftentimes not understood about this is that where you have a married priesthood, such as in the Eastern churches, you have certain prescriptions that they must live by, such as he and his wife, the priest and his wife, must abstain from relations between the two of them, marital relations, prior to the priest celebrating the Eucharist. They're also urged to abstain from relations during the fasting periods of the liturgical year. If you have been with us for any length of time on this program, you'll know that there is a lot of fasting that goes on in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. A lot of it's pretty strict fasting. In fact, we have entered one of those periods now, leading up to the Feast of the Dormition. In other words, the Assumption of the Mother of God. There is a fast of no meat or dairy products from August 1st to the 14th. Now, that would also imply that the priest and his wife are supposed to abstain from relations during that time as well. A lot of people don't know that. And why is that? Well, here's the clincher. Here's the thing that you really have to understand when it comes to the question of celibate priesthood versus married priesthood. And this is very important. So take this down. You're probably not going to hear it anywhere except here exclusively on Light of the East. Celibacy is not to be ontologized. In other words, it's not to be associated 
with the priesthood, that it is intrinsic to the priesthood. Celibacy is intrinsic to monasticism, just like the word says, mono, singular, one. Singular focus on God, and you live as single. You do not live with someone else in in terms of marriage. So monasticism, yes, celibacy is absolutely part and parcel. It is intrinsic to the very essence of monasticism. It is not intrinsic to the essence of priesthood. No, it is not. It's become associated that way, but that is not correct. What is intrinsic to the priesthood, whether married or celibate, is the eschatological dimension of the priesthood, meaning that the priesthood does embody and points to our ultimate destiny in heaven. We are a priestly creature. We will be called to take our place at the heavenly liturgy in heaven forever with all the angels and saints. And so the priesthood on earth points to that ultimate reality, the eschaton. And so the priesthood is associated or is associated with the eschaton or the eschatological dimension is part and parcel of the priesthood. Celibacy is one way of living that out, but it's not the only way. So you see the difference? Celibacy is a way of living out what is the one underlying principle of the priesthood, whether married or celibate, and that is that it points to and immerses us in the eschatological destiny of our being. In other words, our ultimate destiny in heaven. The priesthood reconciles heaven with earth. Within the priesthood is the meaning point between heaven and earth. The other aspect of a married clergy that we can see in the married priesthood of of the Eastern churches, some of the Eastern churches, is that there is a necessary sort of automatic or by default, support system for the priest. And this brings up another very important issue. And again, we have to look at this celibacy issue very holistically. It's not just a matter of, oh, priests shouldn't be married because it's like being married to two spouses or it's somehow dirtier or a lower level. Don't, don't go there. That's not how we should be discussing this. The priesthood requires, especially if you're celibate, it requires a support system. It's not enough just to say priests should be celibate. And many people who insist on that, who are very anxious about the possibility of married priests in the Latin Rite Church, I have to maybe chastise you just a little bit, kind of nudge you a bit there, because there's a certain kind of selfishness there. You yourself would not live a celibate life. You yourself could not imagine, as most people can't imagine, living a life without spouse, family, children, sexuality. But you want someone else to live that, and you want them to live it perfectly. And God forbid, if they slip and fall in that area, they really get tarred and feathered, don't they, today? They really get the scarlet letter stamped on them. And I'm not talking about full-blown, sinful, terrible things like child molesting. I'm talking about simple little failings that can happen very easily in that area. We expect the priest to be perfect in that area, but we ourselves would not live that. So it's a little bit selfish to look at someone else and say, you live this life and you live it perfectly. What we must do is to say, if we want priests to remain celibate and live that way, then you've got to come up with a support system. And that is what has been missing. With the married priesthood, he has an automatic support system. 
he needs more than, than just this, but it is his wife and his children. Now, yes, being a husband and father has its own challenges and frustrations and pains and so on, but by and large, it's a support system. He does have someone to talk to, someone who loves him, others that he can love, someone for whom he matters. The celibate does not have that. The celibate has to find it in other ways. We have to come up with ways to provide that for the celibate. It's not enough. If we're going to insist on having a celibate clergy with no exceptions, you must have a support system, which we do not really have. And that's one of the reasons we're having so many problems. The Eastern churches will say this, if you're going to be a priest in a parish, you should be married. You don't have to be, but you should be. If you're not going to be married, then get ye to a monastery, or at least be connected with a monastery. In other words, the Eastern churches, and this is what the Latin Rite can do, look at the Eastern churches on this issue and see that what they will preach is that a person is never to be just on their own. You cannot just have a priest be celibate and that's it. You cannot expect that of a human being. Yes, there is God's graces, but let's face it, it's not some kind of magic fairy dust that God puts on a priest because he's celibate and he no longer has any kind of need for support or any kind of struggle. We can't idealize about this. We have to be very, very realistic, respectful, but realistic. The celibate priesthood needs an adequate support. Those of you who are very, very concerned about the possibility of a married priesthood in Latin Rite, I urge you then to ask yourselves, will you work towards a support for that priest and for all priests who are celibate? Because that is the wisdom of the Eastern churches. No man is an island. We're not ordained bachelors. The celibate priest must be a witness. In order for that to happen, he must have that support. The married priest has a support system in his family. There's many things then that the Eastern churches have to offer that will hopefully provide hope. And we're going to continue with this for the next several programs because it's important that we have hope. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!